Bears, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Now, here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it, it, of course, is Victory Lane. Today on the Mark Martin edition of the show... Yeah, there may be some other 55s out there that you may be thinking of, but when I think of 55, as Andrew Curlin said on the last episode, I think of Mark Martin. We have NASCAR YouTube star sensation extraordinaire Eric Estep on the show. We're going to discuss his beginnings on the platform. He educates me a little bit on it, and, and we chat about his boy Matt Kenseth chatting with him. That was a really, really cool moment for him. Plus, NASCAR will be back on May 17th. We're going to chat about that and all that went into them putting a date on paper to return to racing, all the things that went into that and more. We will start this episode off, as always, with a good old-fashioned... I'm back home in my room now, so I don't feel like I need to be quiet and disturb anybody. All right, let's get right into it. NASCAR is hitting the track for real. Once again, on May 17th at Darlington Raceway, in total for the next 11 days, starting on May 17th and going for the next 11, there will be seven races across all three series. So the announcement came after a lot of speculation and reporting, but nothing was official until they put the announcement out, which was Thursday afternoon. So here's a schedule. Darlington on Sunday, May 17th, 3.30 p.m. on Fox. That is a cup race. The next, not the next day, Monday off, Tuesday, Xfinity race, 8 p.m. Wednesday, cup race, 8 p.m. So in a three-day span, you got three races, uh, four-day span. Sorry, I literally can't count. Uh, So then, after Darlington, we head to Charlotte Motor Speedway, Sunday, May 24th. That's Memorial Day, 6 p.m., Coca-Cola 600, 600-mile event. Qualifying will take place for that event. All the other races, no practice, no qualifying. You show up, you unload, you race, you go home. So that's on Sunday. Monday, Xfinity race at Charlotte. Tuesday, truck race at Charlotte. Wednesday, another cup race at Charlotte. All of these races will be in prime time um, besides the first one on May 17th. That's at 3.30. You know the news by now. Like if you if you're a NASCAR fan, you understand what is going on. So um, you can look on on frontstretch.com. We got it all outlined there for you. NASCAR.com as well. But this was something that NASCAR collaborated with big time, specifically with state and local officials, as well as some race teams uh, and and drivers as well. So here's Vice President and Chief Racing Development Officer Steve O'Donnell, as well as John Bobo. They joined the media for a teleconference yesterday. Um, to discuss all things that went into this decision-making process. An opening statement from Steve O'Donnell. Here it is, outlining how we got here to where we are right now. You know, as we stated in our release, uh, we're incredibly excited, the teams, the tracks, TV partners, and OEMs, to return to racing, but uh, also understand the tremendous responsibility that's going to come with that return. Um, And as you saw, our return in Darlington Um, It's going to be an environment that we need to make sure that we're taking all measures available to us 
uh, for the safety of our competitors and certainly um, for the local community. So, you know, as we developed the return to racing schedule, uh, we understood, and, and I've seen this many times from the media, that it's going to be a fluid situation and, and we, we're going to need to factor in many, many variables. And I think most important for us at the onset uh, was the development of a plan uh, that was discussed with public health officials, medical experts, uh, state and local officials. And John Bobo, when he speaks, will will run you through a lot of the details of those plans. And then it was important for us to work with all of our stakeholders, uh, and that included the teams, the tracks, OEMs, engine builders, our suppliers, TV partners. All of those folks had to weigh in and talk about what was possible uh, in this environment. From there, we had an internal group of Ben Kennedy, Ben Baker, and Scott Miller um, who led the discussions around the schedule. I think we're on version 65 right now for the national series, so a, a lot of changes have come throughout that, uh, but a portion of that uh, you saw today. As we know, all situations when it comes to coronavirus have been fluid and ever-changing, and, and this one will be no different. There's going to be some, some technicalities that will be put in place for the opener at Darlington, as well as some future events. You know, just getting a little bit into the weeds, I think you can anticipate uh, for that first race in Darlington a, a competition caution of some kind for the May 17th event. Obviously, we're still working through what that may look like. We want to allow for some adjustments for the team, so a lot of dialogue still going on with the industry of how we put that together. And then I'm also confident that when we go back on Wednesday night on the 20th, uh, you may see some things a little bit different just based on what we learned uh, with our opening event. So our intent remains to run the same number of events uh, that we announced uh, at the beginning of the season, and that's for all three national series. And our goal was also, as we put this together, to keep as many races as possible intact towards the middle of the back half of the season. So that's why you're seeing uh, some, of the, uh, some of the events take place as early as we can and, and, and as, as close in proximity to each race as we can. Here is John Bobo on how the logistics will work at the track. There, There is a ton, I mean a ton of moving parts and pieces involved with this from how the hauler drivers will stage the haulers to where the drivers will be stationed to um, how the races are going to go on. The logistics of this are crazy. So he outlined some of them right here. Events are going to look different than they have in the past. Uh, the way we travel to the event, the way we enter the event, the way we move about an event, and the way we leave an event is going to be different. You know, we're asking uh, teams uh, and our, all of our other participants and organizations to self-monitor people for five days uh, for symptoms before they arrive. We're asking them to fill out questionnaire and go through initial screening for temperature. Uh, if concerned, after that, they go into a secondary screening with medical personnel. Uh, and which will include heart rate and pulse oxygenation and uh, medical personnel will make any decisions at that point. We'll also then go through a additional screening for essential personnel. We've been working with the teams and our roster system to make sure that the event is very limited into who can attend. And we're making sure that uh, if there's any operations that we can move off site, that's exactly what we're trying to do to limit the event. And then everyone that is going into the infield is going to be wearing uh, cloth masks as they move about, and um, since there will be no spectators and no fans in the infield, we'll be able to use the entire infield to space out and socially distance. We'll be able to space out the car garages and not just the cup garage, but the Xfinity and, and Gander Outdoor garage as well. Uh, we will have uh, driver's motor coaches there, but they will not be in a driver-owner lot. We're spreading those motor coaches out to provide a place for drivers to self-isolate during the day. Our two big themes are 
social distancing, uh, and the other is compartmentalization. So with social distancing, we're going to have you know one-way walkways for people. We're going to have our rules strictly enforced. If people aren't complying with our rules for masks and social distancing, they will be removed from the premises. On compartmentalization, you know, for example, if we have someone in the broadcast lot and they have no business in the garage, they don't need to come into the garage, and vice versa. We need to keep people out of work areas uh, that they might normally get into. Um, on Pitt Road, uh, we are mandating that all our over-the-wall com uh, competitors have the uh, fireproof uh, sock mask that will go from their nose down below their chin, or they have to use the face screen that goes from above their eyes to below their chin. Um, we are uh, going to uh, space out our spotters. Our spotters aren't uh, necessarily going to be on the roof, but we're going to be across the top of the empty stadium, uh, so they all have six to ten feet between them, and they can play the important role that they play in the competition. Um, temperatures will be taken uh, randomly throughout the event of people as needed. Symptomatic patients uh, will be processed and removed from uh, the event and given medical attention if needed. Uh, we'll be doing that outside the infield care center to protect the integrity of the infield care center for emergency operations during the race. Uh, Post-race, uh, we're going to stagger people's exits. We'll be looking at temperature and other factors again if they leave. We're also requiring all the teams to disinfect uh, as needed, and we'll even seal haulers and things like that to make sure as they go to the next event uh, that they are safe. We've set up lines of communication for every participant to be able to reach out to us immediately after the event on lessons learned so we can get better and smarter each, uh, each success of race uh, as we go forward. They, of course, took some questions from the media. So Steve O'Donnell was asked about the fact that there's a lot of eyes that are going to be on this sport and the financial ramifications from not racing for a while, those are the two main factors of getting back to racing, and he talked about that. Well, I think it's a, it's a big factor in terms of getting it right. Um, you know, we realize up front that it's a huge responsibility for us as a sport, um, but I'm also confident in the group we've gathered to put this plan together, and our entire industry has come together um, to believe in the plan we've put together. We're certainly going to learn as we go. Um, but the process that we put in place, I think, gives the industry the confidence um, that we can be first, uh, and then we can do this in Darlington. And lastly, since Charlotte and the track Too Tough to Tame of Darlington get an extra race now, two tracks will lose their dates. Now, they said that they know who they're going to be. They're not ready to release those just yet. Um, but they still intend to run all 36 points paying races this season across the Cup Series schedule. They also intend to run all Xfinity and Truck Series races. I did some talking with people today, and according to my sources, the Arca Menard Series still intends to run all 20 races on their schedule. Arca East and Arca West still intend to run their full slates as well. The West might be a little bit more in limbo because California, there's four races in that state on the West slate. So we will see. It's an ever-changing fluid situation. But back to the original point. Who are those two tracks that will lose dates? Those decisions have been made, um, but we're not ready to announce those. And that's not to, to hide the ball. Um, that is to make sure that we can have proper communication, not only with those tracks and the personnel, which I'm sure you can appreciate, um, but we've got a lot of fans in those areas. So for the couple tracks um, where we need to move an event, we want to do that in the right way. Um, we will certainly disclose that to the media, uh, the race teams, and the fans. They'll know ahead of time before we get to Darlington. Um, but we just want to take a little time here before we're able to announce that. 
Stay tuned to this podcast and everything surrounding it. We will find out relatively soon who those two tracks may be. Just as a guess, I would have to guess Sonoma would be one because that's the other track at California, in California, the state that is, that will be on the, the cup circuit this year. And maybe Watkins Glen because that's in New York, although it's upstate. I mean, you never really know. It's hard to say, but we will see about that. There's going to be a ton more to come from NASCAR uh, in this week and the coming weeks. Check FrontStretch and NASCAR.com for everything that has to do with that. Here are my personal thoughts on it, and then we'll get to Eric Estep. I may do an article somewhat soon for FrontStretch on this, but in short, I think the risk here outweighs the reward. Um, NASCAR is not going to be testing people for coronavirus. So as Justin Milo said, who actually had coronavirus, they're kind of relying on the honor system in a way. I mean, they're asking people to document and kind of have a diary of their interactions with people before they can get a software up and running that can help record those and be implemented. So they're not going to be testing people. And They're going to have all the social distancing guidelines put in place. They talk with the CDC. They talk with local state and um, local government health officials. But my question is, like, so let's say, and I talked about it with Eric, so you'll have to listen in there, but let's say somebody is coming into the garage or coming into the racetrack, and they get checked with their temperature. Um, You know, they get checked for all other symptoms, and they're fine. They go in. They do their work. Let's say they're a crew member. They're in close proximity and close contact with everything. What if they're an asymptomatic carrier? Because we know that those cases exist. Um, there's a lot of misinformation out there about coronavirus and, and what happens if you're an asymptomatic carrier. What happens if you may have some symptoms, you may not have it. There's a ton of stuff that we don't know. So here's a hypothetical situation. Somebody's an asymptomatic carrier. They're an interior mechanic. They're touching the cockpit of the car. The driver gets it, gets in the car. He gets coronavirus. Then what happens? Do you shut it down for a week, for two weeks, for a month, for the year? I, I, I don't know. I, I'm just, I, there's nobody that is happier than me that NASCAR is going to get back to real racing. If you're a NASCAR fan, you're happy that this is getting back. Um, into the real life atmosphere and and is going to be on television and there's going to be a lot of eyeballs and a lot of interest in it. Like if you're not a NASCAR fan, uh, I'll say this: you are not a NASCAR fan if you're not happy this is happening. But you also got to look at it from a thirty thousand foot view and say, is this worth it? I don't know if it is. I I I still think that the risk of this outweighs the reward. That's my personal take on it. They're going to try this. They're taking all the proper protocols and measures that they can. And the reason that they're not going to test people is because they don't want to take the tests and the resources away from the state and local officials for the general public, which I respect and I get. But at a certain point, you got to say to yourself, okay, our team rosters are going to be 16. Multiply that by 40. That's for, you know, around four or five, 600 people, something like that. Are we going to have 600 people gathered in a place socially distanced, of course, but still within, you know, shouting distance of each other, not tested for the virus and hoping that they're going to say, yeah, I don't have symptoms. I'll come. Or if I do have symptoms, I won't. I just I don't know if that's going to work. Make no bones about it. But people will get the virus. There will be people at this race, whether it's drivers, crew members, truck drivers, owners, whatever. 
there are people that will go to these events and get this virus. It's only a matter of if it's reported and who gets it. That's the fact. People are going to get it. It's it's not about if, it's about when and who and how. And if they get it, are they going to be tested afterwards? Are they going to report it? Are they going to come back? Are they even going to want to get tested? Because they want to get a paycheck. Who knows? People are living paycheck to paycheck. They have a living. I, I'll, I'll end it by saying this. I am so glad NASCAR will be back. I just worry at the cost of it. Because if the cost of it is just one life, it's too much. Interview time. Okay, that got a little serious. But let's try to get... A little bit lighter, as they say. Here is Eric Estep, host of Out of the Groove on YouTube. He has over 100,000 subscribers on his YouTube channel. I told him many times that I am not really well-educated on the YouTube sphere, but he tried to help me understand how things go in that respect, and I I think it really was informative and, and a fun chat. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. Here is Eric Estep. I'm very happy to be joined by somebody that I was just telling him off mic. I may not know much about his quote-unquote platform or background, but that's why we're here. I'm going to learn all about it. It is Eric Estep, host of Out of the Groove on YouTube. Thank you for joining me, man. I know we've met each other a couple times at the racetrack, and we've followed each other on all the various social medias, but... Now that we're both quarantined here at our parents' houses, it's good to see each other face-to-face on Zoom, albeit. Yeah, it's about as best as anyone can do face-to-face these days is uh, through a computer screen. But uh, yeah, thanks for having me, Davey. This is uh, this is fun. It's kind of difficult not being able to go to the racetrack right now. It's kind of hard to talk to people about racing as much as I was getting used to. So it's good to kind of sit down and talk about all things uh, all things motorsports. That's right. We will uh, we'll get into some motorsports, but I want I want this episode to kind of be focused on you because I want to learn about you, and I'm sure that a lot of people listening, whether or not they watch your stuff on YouTube or they know who you are, I think they should get a little peek behind the curtain into who you are. But before we get into all that, I'm asking all my guests how their quarantine is going because everybody's handling it differently. I mean, Aaron Bearden was on a couple weeks ago, and he's still going to work every single day, and we had Andrew Curland on earlier on, on in the week. And he's getting ready to fly all the way across to Arizona to pick up his stuff from school. So, like, how are you doing? What's going on in the in the Estep household? Uh, it's been pretty chill. I'm just back in Texas right now, kind of biding my time, trying to keep up with as much uh, doing YouTube stuff, trying to to continue to have guests on my show, continue to do things with uh, with the other people in the online racing community. Um, but things have been fairly tame on my end. Uh, we haven't been like fully. I mean, we've been on stay at home order, but we haven't been fully like it's not like a ghost town outside you look outside right. and there's still people walking around mowing their lawns doing things like that so it's been good it was a little interesting for me because this is my last semester of college and i was actually studying in los angeles at the start of the semester and then in about march our uh, kind of like advisor sound email basically saying hey semester is basically canceled uh if you guys can get home get home so i had yeah. to i was actually here for spring break in texas i got on the first plane I could tickets were like cheap as heck. Cause nobody was flying right. Flew back to LA, got all my stuff and drove back over the weekend. So it was Jeez. a really in the middle of March. It was a little crazy back and forth going coast to coast here. But, um, the last month or so it's been pretty tame. And, uh, luckily everyone that I know has been able to stay safe and healthy. So that's been, um, really awesome. How long was the drive? Oh my God. I don't know. It was about 20, 
three 24 hours. My dad came with me, which was, oh I was very God. thankful for. He helped drive some of the distance. We stopped in a, there, when I was at Phoenix Raceway for the first time earlier this, uh, before this all happened, I found a really good pizza place uh, right there along the freeway. And so we stopped over by the Phoenix <laughs> Raceway on the way back. So we kind of hit up, we still maintained some of the NASCAR theme on yeah. our drive back. It was kind of fun. <laughs> Next time I go to Phoenix, hopefully later this year, I'll have to hit you up about that pizza place. Sounds good. You got the best calzones I've ever had. Let me put it that way. Calzone. Yeah. That's how you pronounce it. There we go. Um, what, what city to what city? Where were you going to school? Uh, I was basically in the heart of Burbank, like right there out, just outside of nice. Los Angeles. I was I lived right next to Warner Brothers Studios. I'm a film major at college. Um, I go to school at University of Texas in Austin, um, but they were just doing kind of that they have a program that allows you to go out to LA, get internships gotcha. and kind of learn on the ground. Awesome. Um, so yeah, basically Burbank back to, back to Houston was a, was a long trip. Um, but glad, glad we made it safe. 23 hours in a car, yeah. but you survived to tell the tale. So I, I commend Toyota you for Camry. that. That's right. Hey, it's durable, right? Yeah. <laughs> Give good plug to Toyota there. Well, here's my transition. We're going to see some NASCAR Toyota Camrys back on the track. Uh, here in a couple weeks, NASCAR officially announced their return, their plan, I should say, to return to racing in May. We're going to go to Darlington for a few races, Charlotte for a few races. All three national series will be competing. And, I mean, we heard a lot of rumblings throughout the week leading up to this and even before from a bunch of different sources and reporters about they're going to announce the schedule today. Here's what it's going to be. It's going to look like this. And then but as we know, I mean, nothing is official until we get it from NASCAR themselves. But it is now official, so I'll ask your thoughts on it. What What did you think about the announcement when it came down yesterday? I thought it was, uh, in a lot of ways, I think it's the best NASCAR can do given an imperfect situation. Of course, we. it sounded like they were wanting to keep races close to Charlotte, close to where all the teams were. Um, Within just driving to make, distance. Yep. Yeah, just to make all those logistics a lot easier um, and a lot less to worry about, a lot less to think about. So it sounds like mission accomplished on that front, going straight to Darlington, straight to Charlotte. Um, it's a lot of, uh, it's going to be a lot of Darlington and it's going to be a lot of Charlotte. But um, yeah. I think at this point, given the lengthy hiatus, people are just going to be excited to see race cars on the track. They're not going to care if it's, you know, kind of, the same thing for, for a few weeks there. Um, I think that part's just going to be really cool, but uh, um, yeah, I think it's going to be exciting because it sounds like NASCAR is going to be one of the, assuming everything goes according to plan and everything, nothing blows up in the next couple of weeks. NASCAR mm -hmm. is going to be one of the first major sports back on TV uh, in America. And that's, uh, you know, again, trying to make the best out of a bad situation. That's one bright side of this is maybe a, has a, has a positive effect on NASCAR's kind of reception and possibly injects it just a little bit, forces itself back into the mainstream just a tad and might be a boost for to a lot of sponsors who probably are not in the best place right now or not feeling the most confident in their investments right now uh, could ultimately have some positive consequences as a result of this. But uh, it, it will just be exciting, hopefully, to see race cars back on the track sometime soon. And, and of course, right there in the NASCAR's kind of heartland, you got Darlington, Charlotte, and it sounds like maybe down the line still looking at like Bristol and, mm -hmm. and, uh, and Atlanta, other tracks in the area right. so it's it's going to be busy going to be a lot of racing but it sounds it's exciting that nascar still thinks they can get all the races in for all three series that's big for the race teams for sure yeah it's, it's big for the race teams and that that's the thing that i i think that was kind of the catalyst for them trying to get the wheels into motion per se because there's one perspective that says okay like you said we'll be one of the first sports back but also one of the only sports back which will put a lot of eyeballs on you television wise but also some of these smaller teams. I mean, we know like the behemoths of Joe Gibbs Racing, Penske, SHR, Hendrick, like they're fine, right? But even on the Xfinity and the truck level, I mean, you got small teams that the mainstream doesn't know about, but we know about 
that are struggling day to day. They furloughed yeah. employees. They haven't been in the race shops and they rely on the income that they get from those races to operate. And they haven't been operating recently, so they've had to take extreme measures to do so. My thing is, like, and I talked about this earlier in the podcast, if you guys were listening, but, like, I'm all for getting back to racing, right? I mean, if you're a NASCAR fan, you're happy about this because you're going to see real racing on a real racetrack on television. But I just, I I don't know if the risk outweighs the reward. Like, and it's cliche yeah. to say, right? But if one person gets this and God forbid passes away because of this virus, it's not worth it. Like it's, it's just not. Yeah. And NASCAR said yesterday on the teleconference with Steve O'Donnell and John Bobo, as I talked about earlier, so go back and listen, but like, they're not going to be testing people as they come into the track. And they're kind of like relying on the honor system in a way. So like people are going to get coronavirus that like that is going to happen. It's just a matter of who gets it, if they report it, and how badly they get it. Like, I, yeah. I'm willing to bet the house that people will get this virus, unfortunately. It's just a matter of how bad they get it. And let's say, okay, doomsday scenario, right? Chase Elliott diagnosed with COVID-19. That's bad. <laughs> like, you got to shut it all down, right? Yeah. Um, frankly, though, let's say a hauler driver or um, a shock specialist who's at the track for Rick Ware Racing, right? Let's just throw it out there as a hypothetical. Mm-hmm. Let's say a Rick Ware Racing shock specialist gets COVID-19. Are people going to know about it? Are people going to care? That That's like crazy to say and so annoying, frankly, but people are going to know more about it mainstream-wise if a driver gets it of Chase's caliber rather than an, a mechanic for Rick Ware Racing. Like, I'm just worried about that type of thing, but at the end of the day, they're doing what they have to do, and like I've said they're going to try this like stuff will go wrong stuff will go better than they thought but at the end of the day you have to commend them because they are trying something yeah uh, you're right the optics will look very bad depending on or worse at least depending on who if anyone ends up getting it depends on who that is but i think yeah from a financial standpoint nascar is doing everything they need to do for the race teams for the tracks for everyone because you got to get these races run you got to get them on national television but uh you raised good questions questions that i've been raising too is what happens if a crew guy shows up to the track positive for COVID-19. Do they shut the whole weekend down right there? Like what, do they just send that person home? Do they report it at all? Do you're right. There are a lot of questions. That's why uh, listening to a lot of the reports that came out yesterday, a lot of my questions still remain. I still don't have it. And I think that's just because a lot of the questions that you and I both have aren't really like answerable, at least not in a hypothetical situation. At least. Yeah. It's very difficult, Uh, but you're right. There's obviously a very good chance that someone because they're still going to have a a few hundred people probably at the racetrack each weekend, every day. Uh, There's a very good chance that someone is going to get the disease. NASCAR sounds like they're taking a lot of precautions to prevent them from easily spreading it around to other Mm -hmm. people in the garage area. But uh, you know, this it's, it's not foolproof, not a hundred percent foolproof. So um, what happens if, uh, if the wrong person gets it, or if if anyone gets it, I just will be curious to see how quickly, if at all, this whole situation blows up in their face. It's, it's a tough risk, but from the financial standpoint, it's one that that I guess at this point they've weighed as necessary. Yeah. Like I said, they're doing what they got to do, but it's just, it's one of those things where in my heart of hearts, I want it to work. I just, I don't know if it will, but I'm I'm crossing everything I got that mm -hmm. it does because kind of tired of iRacing at this point. <laughs> you, you and me both. Yeah, iRacing has been great, but you want to see real cars on the track oh, as yeah. soon as possible. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, so Eric, you, you made a video on that. Obviously you make a video on pretty much everything NASCAR related. As I said, I will admit, I'll be the first one to admit, I do not know much 
about NASCAR YouTube or YouTube in general because basically what I do with YouTube is I post my videos that I do at NBC Sports Washington and stuff like that on my channel. And if I get a subscriber, I'm kind of like, why is somebody <laughs> subscribing to this? Because I just I, I don't put any effort into it. It's more so just like a online portfolio for my work. So I hope you can accept my stupidity when it comes to this and help me learn. Okay, can, can we do this together? Uh, sure, I'll do my best. Okay, good. Before we get to all of that, I want to learn a little bit about your background. How did you get into NASCAR? I assume growing up in, in the Texas area, and we'll get to Matt Kenseth, obviously. Uh, he's your boy. But how did you get into NASCAR in the first place? So I, I feel like my story getting into NASCAR is, is actually pretty different from a lot of other uh, a lot of other typical NASCAR fans. I Good. like to tell people that like I got my dad into NASCAR. You know, like I didn't grow up in a racing family. I grew up in Houston, Texas, and there's not a strong racing culture, racing history really in, right. in the Houston area. Um, and so, uh, there was no, the closest NASCAR race is Texas Motor That's still four hours away. So, yeah. um, not a lot of race fans I grew up around, but I mm -hmm. just, I think like a lot of people around my age, I grew up playing the video games, NASCAR Thunder 2004. Uh, I played the crap out of NASCAR 07, um, the old EA sports games and, Good old uh, days. and I, yeah. And, and then I remember when I first saw a race on TV, I was probably around seven years old and I was kind of shocked, like I'm a little seven year old boy. I like hot wheels cars. I thought race cars were cool. But then when I saw them on TV, I thought, Oh, I didn't know racing was a real thing. Like, like it seems dangerous. Like, okay, that's a real thing. Okay, cool. And uh, and really just started following it pretty closely from there. And I found out, uh, or and I started following Matt Kenseth partially because I loved his paint scheme in the in the old games. And then I started learning more and more about him, and uh, and and became a, a big fan of his. And I think that's important for a lot of fans is latching onto a driver for whatever reason it may be. Um, and so that became fun. I got lucky that I picked a good driver who is still in his prime. <laughs> yeah ran well and won races pretty much every year so That's important yeah it just became a lot of fun and uh and as the years have gone by and uh, i got older and older and got to go to more races and, and have met a lot more fans because i didn't know i really had no friends the only person i could talk to racing about at home was my dad and he followed it closely but not as closely as i did so i i could talk to him about most things but uh one of the reasons i started youtube and, and one of the reasons i started doing the show I, I do now a few years ago was to kind of find those fans online i could talk to to kind of make up for a lot of the nascar conversation i felt like i'd missed growing up so um it was definitely different i, I still to this day don't know anyone who lives anywhere near me that is a, a race fan <laughs> really yeah so I, I all my uh nascar friends i've met either online or at the racetracks in various cities wow. i've not so it's it's still it's it's i feel like my story is a little different than most people most people it's a generational thing but for me it was right. kind of it just kind of luck i guess or just good fortune in a lot of ways so what did your dad say when you started, I mean, getting into it, playing the video games and watching it on TV? Was he kind of skeptical? Like, what is my kid doing right now? Uh, my dad's always been a big sports guy. I mean, he was, uh, he got me into baseball, got me into basketball. Like, I mean, he was always a sports guy. He was always watching sports. So I think NASCAR, he knew, a, he knew about it. He knew who like Jeff Gordon was, Dale Earnhardt. He knew the names, but he didn't, just didn't keep up with it. Um, and I think when we both kind of picked a guy to root for, because he also kind of, we just both kind of latched on to Matt Kenseth. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think what you pick a guy to root for and you start really following it more closely uh, and you learn that it's not just guys driving in circles for three hours. There's more layers to it and everything. And the personality start to show up. I think he's just a sports fan. He likes competition. And so it was right. pretty easy for him to jump on as well. And uh, he still watches to this day, even though he's kind of bouncing around his favorite drivers now all over the place, but <laughs> uh, he still watches pretty closely. So it's, it's, it's been really cool. Why'd you like Matt Kenseth for his paint scheme? Like, I feel like when you were that young, you shouldn't like a yellow and black car. You should like know. the rainbow warrior. You should like somebody colorful. I don't know. It just stood out. This is the 2009 car. Cause it's sitting right next yeah. to me, but it just stood out. The, like, I don't know. Everyone I else mean, it is a fresh car. Don't get me wrong. Like I'm looking at my Kenseth diecast right now. It's yeah. fresh, but it's just like 
I mean, we're around the same age, right? So, mm-hmm. so when you were getting into the sport, like you said, you were what, like six, seven, eight, something like yeah, that. Yeah, right there, right there. Right. right. So, like, you would think a Jeff Gordon fire car, or the Rainbow Warrior, or I don't know, the M and M's car, if if it was Ken Schrader back then driving it, or Elliot Sadler, like you would think you'd gravitate to one of those, but no, you just wanted a a regular black and yellow car. You seem very boring. <laughs> well, the black and yellow was kind of like a bumblebee aesthetic to it. it, it All right. I feel like I was never the type of guy who, who wanted to go and pick like the favorite. I could never be like a Yankees fan or anything like that. Even yeah, if I lived in New yeah, York, yeah. I'd probably want to be a Mets fan just because I don't want to root for the go against the fan. grain. Yeah. So a little bit of that. Oh, there was also a, a little bit of an interesting story there. I remember around it was 2004 or five. It was a year or so after I started watching or a little less than a year after I really started following NASCAR. Um, and I remember uh, I visited one of my mom's old friends from high school. She was living in Georgia. We went and visited her house and I found out that she was actually a distant cousin of Matt Kenseth. And I went into her, one of her like son's bedrooms and he had tons of Matt Kenseth oh, all man. over the walls. And I was like, Oh, that's the car I drive in the video. Like I know Matt Kenseth. This that, that was kind of when it really cemented. Like I like the paint scheme. This guy's. I got like I was just looking at all the stuff. I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. And that was also the year, or you know, a year or two after he won the championship. So I knew he right. was good, uh, but not like I knew he wasn't like the best. I knew he wasn't Jeff Gordon or anything like that. I knew he didn't have that following. But I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's why I kind of sealed the deal for me. So there was a little bit more behind beyond just the paint scheme for me. But that was what initially drew me in for sure. Well, I think that actually is a good point because I'm, as you can see behind me in my childhood bedroom, I, I've always been a Kevin Harvick guy, right? So like I, I got into the sport when I was super young and I tell this story a lot, but here's the cliff notes. I like Dale Earnhardt because he was the guy who always won. I was too young to comprehend the fact that he died when he passed. So my dad basically was like, uh, Dale's not going to race anymore. This guy named Kevin Harvick's going to race instead and they're going to change the number and the colors. And I was like, okay, cool. And that was 01, obviously. And then 2002... Wow. He ran a special paint scheme at Bristol that had E.T. on the car. That was my favorite movie at the time. So we were watching it on TV, and I started freaking out to my mom, and I'm looking at my prized possession diecast of E.T. right now. Um, and the rest is history. So, like, I-, I get that. It's not just the paint scheme. It's it's a little bit of going against the grain. Because, like, at that time, right, I mean, I was, what, how old was I? I was six, seven, eight, just like you. So, like, it's easy to like Jeff Gordon. It's easy to like the up-and-comer Jimmy Johnson, it's easy to like, you know, the champion, Dale Earnhardt. But I was like, eh, nobody knows this guy. Eight-year-old me knows no better. Why not? Yeah. Well, Kevin Hart's been a – I'm sure he's been a fun one, a fun journey to follow, especially uh, especially recently. But Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. it's just like you. It's like it's cool because you pick a guy and you don't really know that much. You're like, eh, maybe he'll be good. And then he ends up winning a championship. I mean, mm-hmm. for you with Matt, it came earlier. Mm-hmm. But it's like, oh. And, and up until that point, because 2014 is when Harvick won, like I was still major fanboy at that time. That was kind of the end of my fandom, and then I transitioned to like quote unquote full on media. Yeah, but it was it was very rewarding because it was like you go through all the tough times at RCR, and you remember all the stuff when the crew chief screws him over, or he speeds on pit road, and he finishes second in the championship, and then yeah. he finally reaches the mountaintop. And I mean, you know it because you're a sports guy too. Like, yeah, there is no better feeling, none, no yeah. better feeling than your team, your driver winning the championship, winning it all. Like that that's the pinnacle of fandom right there. Yeah. The big moments definitely are are you remember them. You remember the, the really bad moments? I could remember even recently, like the, the bad Matt Kenseth oh, yeah. moments. I think back to twenty sixteen Phoenix getting uh it was him and his spotters fault mostly, but wrecking on the I final remember. starter. Yep. 
or 2016 was a tough year. Daytona 500 as well. That was a rough one to lose. Um, so you remember the bad moments as much as you remember the good moments, but I, I vividly still remember staying up till 2 a.m. Uh, on a Tuesday morning in 2012 to watch the end of the Daytona 500. Yep. And that was a, a pretty memorable one. So yeah, it is, I, I do think um, NASCAR and most ivory sport is a star driven or, or at the very least team driven to the point where everyone has a strong affinity for one team or one participant or whatever it is and i think um, that's really what drives home you know causes someone to be a fan for life everyone loves the game it's always you know for the love of the game for the love of the, the race the sport whatever it is but at the end of the day it's really strengthens your tie to it when you have one team or one whoever it is that you really support and you get to su- follow their journey through the ups and the downs for many years i think that's why not to completely change the subject but i think that's why it's kind of tough for nascar right now with all the transition with all the younger drivers who don't haven't started building their history yet it's kind of everyone's kind mm-hmm. of in limbo who do I, I should i follow blaney should i follow chase elliott like is bubble Wallace ever going to get in good equipment like it's kind of it's kind of tough yeah people don't really know they don't really know what the trajectory is is where it's going to head in the next few years but maybe yeah. that's the exciting part of it too i don't know no, that's a good point too, because, and I get it because, you know, when they're trying to market these guys coming up, Chase Elliott, I mean, before anything, he was marketed as Bill Elliott's son. Yeah. When Ryan Blaney was coming up, he was Dave Blaney's son. Mm-hmm. Bubba Wallace was the African-American driver. Like that, that's just how it is. You have to find something to yeah. to latch onto. So I get that. Also, I, before we move on from Matt, favorite Matt Kenseth paint scheme of all time. And if it's the, the regular DeWalt scheme, then give me another one. Well, I do really like, I, I have a soft spot for his 2005 DeWalt scheme because it was the first one I saw in person. I also thought it was probably my favorite of all the DeWalt schemes. It was simple, but it, it just looked good on the old Gen 4 body. Second favorite paint scheme, man, that's a tough one. I like his 2017 Tide Pods car quite a bit just because it's bright and all over the place and <laughs> yep. colorful. Um, I actually really like his Best Buy car they ran in 2012. I was going to say the Best Buy car, and I like the, uh, I, I believe it was like USG Sheetrock. Yeah. Like red, white, and blue. The, yeah, the light blue and yeah, the red trim yeah. stuff. Those were those are fun as well. So, but he has, he's had a lot of great paint schemes. That's what's made it fun. A lot of good t shirts. Yeah, I'm trying to look if I see any of the Matt Kenseth ones. Oh, Fifth Third Bank, there was that one. But... That's Best Buy car right here. I forgot I had this the next year. Yeah, I, that, that's fresh because that's, that's when he won 2012 Daytona, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I went to Charlotte for the first time last year and, and did the whole tour, went to a few of the race shops and everything, and I was super stoked at Roush Fenway. They had his 2012 Daytona 500 car like on display. I was, Oh, man. That blew my mind. I was in awe of that thing. That was cool. Yeah, when I went to the NASCAR Hall of Fame for the um, uh, NASCAR Regional Awards Ceremony, they had Kevin Harvick's 2007 Daytona 500 car. Yeah, I, I saw that there, that same trip. Freaking yeah. out. That I was cool. freaking out. <laughs> it's wild. Um, one more thing on Matt. Um, besides the fact that he's back and that's amazing. And, and I literally thought of you as soon as I saw that and your tweet pretty much like bored all that out. Um, you actually got the opportunity to chat with the man himself recently, didn't you? How was that? Yeah, I got to talk to him yesterday. I'll be posting a video later this afternoon. Um, it was pretty cool. It was one of those deals where when it, after the news broke, I knew this is my only chance I'm ever probably going to get again to talk to Matt Kenseth in a video. Cause I, I didn't start doing out of the groove or any of the type of videos I did until the very end of his career. And that was kind of it. Um, so I reached out to everyone I knew that might have a tie to Chip Ganassi racing and I got him to come back to me and they're like, yeah, he's up for it. They're, they're down for it. So I got that set up kind of last minute all within about 24 hours. And, uh, and it was pretty cool. Matt Kenseth, Matt Kenseth. He's not uh, going to you know jump out of his shoes. He's not going to be the most energetic right. interview in the world, but it was still really cool. He was neat to talk to, um, gave a lot of thoughtful answers. Uh, I didn't, 
dwell on the fact that I was a big fan of his too much, but I did tell him and he was appreciative of that. Which okay, was good. Nice. Cause, cause yeah. I was going to say, you have to at least make him aware. Like he didn't know who you are though, right? No, he, he, he didn't recognize. I, yeah. I met him. I'd only met him maybe twice in my life and it was like an autograph yeah. line type thing. So I would, I didn't expect him to recognize me or anything like that, but it was a, uh, yeah, I wanted to keep it somewhat professional, and I didn't. I didn't want to make him uncomfortable. I got you, <laughs> but it was, I got you. It was. It was definitely cool. It was, it was a a bucket list moment for sure to get to. It just had me thinking after after I closed the Zoom call or whatever. Well, you know, I I sat there and thought like. Geez, three four years ago i remember being pissed when he lost the daytona 500 i remember like celebrating when he won his last race at phoenix you know it was like oh there's i just remembered so many like fan moments that weren't that long ago they were fairly recent still and to think about like how the tables have turned in a sense yeah. so i was like it was kind of a very introspective moment for myself personally but it was um very cool definitely surreal maybe that's like your pinch me moment yeah a little bit honestly I don't really take Matt Kenseth as the YouTube type, so I, I don't. No. I wouldn't take offense that he didn't know you. No, I, I no, for sure. <laughs> yeah, that, that's really cool though. I'm looking forward to to watching that video. Um, so you mentioned out of the groove. That's your show. That's what you do day in day out. Um, how did this all start for you on YouTube? Besides, besides the fact of you kind of longing for that interaction with other racing fans, which you found in the online community, like. How long ago did you do this? Did, did you give it any thought when you started? Were you kind of like, I'm going to make a YouTube channel. This is going to be big. Or was it something that was kind of just organic and happened and said, I just want to talk to other people and I want them to hear my opinions? Yeah, well, it initially started. I mean, I created my YouTube channel when I was 13. I was still in middle school, I think. I was in oh, junior man. high. Because I was actually going back on the channel. I wanted to find the first video, but I, I started scrolling and I was like, nope, don't I, have time for this. I've deleted some of them probably. Some of the initial ones that <laughs> yeah. weren't, that were just, just BS. Just because I know at the No, you got to keep them up because that's so, fu like, that's the fun part, right? Like, they're, they're I, when private. I go back and listen to my first them. stuff. I have them still, but they aren't, I don't think they need to see the, the public light too much. Some of them, if you scroll deep enough, there'll be, there's plenty of stuff back there. I'm not proud of, but uh, <laughs> when I first started YouTube, it wasn't, I didn't have any sort of idea that NASCAR was involved. I just, I was a 13 year old kid who liked making little silly videos with my friends. And so I just post them on YouTube and they'd get like 60 views and I'd be thrilled. Um, and then right. I remember my first, when I was still, I think right around the time I turned 14, I did a, a I took a bunch of my old NASCAR diecast and did like a little stop motion video. Mm -hmm. You know, take the photos and they look animated. It looks like a real race is happening. And I did one of those and it quickly got like 200 views. And I'm like, oh, that was, that was my most viewed video at the time by far. And I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. So the next year I started doing more of those and that kind of became my thing for a few years. And that's really what got my channel at all noticed was I was year after year, I was doing NASCAR stop motion videos and kind of recreating races or making up my own races with little die cast cars. And I was upping the production value, making the tracks look cool, making things look as realistic. I mean, uh, this is a podcast, I guess, but I got one of the old tracks behind me. They're supposed to be Watkins Glen. That's the carousel on the back yep. after the bus. There it is. Yeah. It's a bit damaged, but uh, it's, it's not in the best shape. But anyway, so I was doing those for years and those would get lots of views, but it was, it was really fun. It was really cool, uh, but it got tedious. If, if you know anything about stop motion, I take you know, it'd be 15 hours a week, just pushing cars in a circle. Just, I'd listen to music, listen to pocket, do whatever I could possibly do to pass the time. But it was just tedious after a few years of doing that. So by the time I got to college, I knew that, um, one, it wasn't going to be possible to keep doing stop motions in a college dorm room because those tracks are big. I got to take all the cars with me and everything. So I was like, okay, I got to change my content. I got to start figuring out what else I can do. Cause I wanted to keep doing YouTube. Um, it was too much fun to just stop entirely. Um, and so that's when I started, thinking about the idea of what about a show just you know, there's nobody really on youtube espn doesn't really talk about nascar anymore espn's kind of moved on i mean what if 
I kind of try to make this corner of the internet like the place for NASCAR fans to share their opinions on current NASCAR events and talk about their favorite drivers, talk about what they thought of the race um, and just bring that debate to YouTube because there's nobody on YouTube um, doing that at the time. So I thought, okay, I've been watching the sport for a while. I mean, I was young, but I was like, maybe that's my, that's what makes my channel unique. That's my unique perspective. Mm -hmm. um, so I kind of dove, uh, dove into that and it, it bombed for the first <laughs> six or eight months I was doing it. Cause it wasn't stop motion. It was something completely different. People are like, yeah. seriously, I had a stupid haircut. Nobody believed, uh, nobody really took interest in what I was doing. Um, but, uh, slowly I kept at it. Cause again, I didn't really have any other options. And it was around this time I met a lot of other people, um, in the YouTube sphere who were also kind of starting out, uh, guys like Darian Gilliam, black flags matter on YouTube, Jarrett, uh, the iceberg or Danny B and, Rusty Walrus, Joseph Lombard. I met a lot of people um, who were doing a lot of different types of content. They were all either supportive of my content in some way, shape, or form, or they were just fun to talk to. Because this was around the time I really um, was finally like finding NASCAR fans to talk to in person. That wasn't really something I'd ever been able to do is talk about the race, like you know, on a phone call or anything like that. Like that wasn't something I was ever able to do before. Um, so it was really new, and it really made uh, doing it out of the group fun. So even during that first year or two, where it was kind of slowly growing, slowly growing making those connections and meeting a lot of people who were kind of spreading the online community out. It was no longer just me in one corner trying to spew out NASCAR crap. It was a bunch of people now pushing different types of content forward. Um, uh, it made that kind of year of growth a lot easier to handle and actually made it more fun than any other year I'd had on YouTube. And, and since then it's continued to grow and it's just trajectory has been great. And I've gotten to go to more racetracks. So now the, the opportunities that some of this has brought me has been um, uh, extremely uh exciting extremely humbling in a lot of ways and has made it extremely worthwhile um so i i've enjoyed it and i'm hoping it continues to grow because now i'm almost done with college i got to figure out what's coming next and and um that's been pretty wild to see the trajectory everything is has moved in over the last few years so in a way i mean without them directly helping you the other nascar youtubers kind of helped accelerate and facilitate your channel's growth yeah, really, it was almost, they really helped accelerate my personal growth. They helped me, uh, like I said, they're the, finally I had people to talk racing with and kind of bounce ideas off of. And and I would see the videos they were pushing out and it gave me ideas for my videos or it gave me people almost like a friendly competition in a sense. Like, oh, he's putting these videos out. Like, that's a great idea. I'll bet I can do something like this, but give my yeah. own spin and see how they compare and, and see how commenters, like people who watch the videos debate between the two, like take ideas from both it was a uh, yeah it really just made it fun it made it very collaborative and made it feel very uh, uh real for the first time because i was finally like face to face engaging with people who were watching my videos yeah. and stuff like that and um up until that point that really everyone who watched my videos was just a name in the comment section it was kind of different to see start to see people's names and faces and and uh, and identify people more frequently like that so it really made it a lot more fun even though it was still kind of like slowly growing at the time so besides the stop motion videos that you did, once you got to school and you start and after the six to eight months where it was just bombing, yeah. was there a specific video or, or a specific time period that you can remember where things started to take off? Maybe one video that went viral or something like that. Like, was there, was there one moment or something like that that happened to you or was it honestly just an organic thing that happened? It really was pretty organic it was pretty slow and steady i do one-off videos here and there i occasionally would still go back and do a stop motion type video and sometimes those would do well sometimes those wouldn't um the out of the groove stuff was pretty consistently just steadily bumping up every couple few weeks i'd noticed the videos were getting more and more views each time i would say the first real notable thing that changed was uh was 2018 at the start of 2018 i started doing the podcast with a lot of those other youtubers and at that point um i really 
I, I, it didn't, I don't know if it didn't boost like the numbers too much, but it really changed kind of the, the atmosphere, the air around uh, the videos I, I was producing. You. So that was kind of a moment where I thought, oh, this is what I need to go do. This is the direction I need to take my channel for sure is this way, this way. Um, and then again, I would say at the beginning of 2019, I had my first um, like guests on the sh on my show. I had Eric Almarola uh, come on the show. And that was like the first moment where I thought, oh crap, I'm almost legitimate. If I have Eric Almarola, it was before yeah. the Daytona 500. They just, uh, someone at NASCAR was able to get me like 10 minutes with Eric Almarola in between all his other media appearances. And I thought, mm -hmm. okay, this might actually be something if I keep pushing out. So that again, wasn't, didn't go viral. Didn't like have significantly more views or anything than any of my other videos, but it was a moment, another moment where it kind of legitimized what I was doing to myself and yeah. inspired me and encouraged me to keep pushing and kind of cemented what direction I wanted to go in uh, at the time. So it's, it's been a lot of little things. Uh, it's been, it hasn't been just one huge moment that I would say was like an epiphany and told me exactly where I was going or what I needed to do next. It was just a lot of little moments that slowly guided me towards what I've done now. As I'm sure you're aware, and this, this comes to the part where I still don't understand like the YouTube culture or anything like from my perspective, right? I, again, I'm not into it, but there's this stigma that surrounds quote unquote YouTubers that they're just like nerds. They're guys that sit in their parents' basement and just talk to themselves on camera and they're just obsessed with the internet and they're gamers and yada, yada, yada. So I've met you. I've met Darian. I've met Joseph. Like I've met a lot of these guys in person. And that stigma for me, that, that was like the, the stereotypical type thing from, from mainstream, quote unquote, right? Mm -hmm. But that stigma when I met you guys, like that went away because I saw you guys at the track. You are real people. You are normal people for the most part, of course. Yeah. Um, and like you're, you're doing the thing, right? So like how do you – I'm trying to think of a way to phrase this because you know the stigma exists mm. to certain people out there. The Certainly. people that are loyal subscribers to your channel and that watch your videos day in, week in, week out, they're not those people. Mm-hmm. But there's more of the, those people, the people that believe in the stigma, than not. So how do you kind of, I guess, make that stigma go away for people? Like, do you, do you actively think about that? Or is it something that, in your mindset, you're so focused and so one-track-minded, like you said, that if you get certain things, like little victories, getting Eric Almarola on your show, for yourself, that's a victory, and it helps legitimize it for yourself, and you don't really care about the quote-unquote haters that are yeah. saying, oh, it's just a YouTuber, he's he's a fanboy, right? Like, mm -hmm. do, you, do you see what I'm trying to say? No, I phrase I, that really badly. No, I think I think I, I definitely get what you're asking, and, and to answer it, it is a little bit of both. Like you said, yeah, having someone like Eric Amarola come on my show legitimized what I was doing to myself, but another part of me was excited because it also legitimized what I was doing to other people. It kind of goes hand in hand because you're right. Uh, doing a YouTube channel and I have no, I mean, I'm a film major, so I guess I know how to turn a camera on. I technically know how to light things. I know how to edit, but beyond that, I don't have any exceptional, exceptional qualifications when it comes to talking about NASCAR. I didn't work for a race team. I'm not a race car driver myself. I've just been watching the sport for a very long time and paid very close attention to it. Um, so I just think I have a perspective at least that I want to share. And I, it is difficult at first to legitimize that because I don't work for MRN. I don't work for Fox or NBC. And so I don't have that immediate like badge of legitimacy on my chest, on my shoulder that, that tells people that I should be listened to. I don't have a blue mm -hmm. check mark on Twitter or anything like that. So it is, you are definitely fighting back against that to some extent. So I am, when I'm at the racetracks, especially when I'm big news drops or something like that, and there's a big topic, a big topic of discussion, I definitely am conscious of like how I go about discussing it, how I present myself, because I know that, um, especially now, a lot of people could see it. And I want to give people, I want to continue to push back on that stereotype because 
not that there's anything wrong with that. I kind of take pride in the fact that I'm just a fan kind of on the outskirts of the sport who's, who's gotten to be a little bit more involved in recent months, recent years, but more than anything, I'm pretty much still on the outskirts like everybody else. I'm just sharing my perspective and trying to get everyone involved and try to contribute to the conversation. I take pride in that to an extent, but I also know that that could potentially limit my opportunities in the future. And I want to be able to uh, continue to grow this and continue to hopefully have more access and, and get more people on the show and get to do more things and bring new types of content to, to my viewers. So in order to do that, sometimes you need a certain powerful people on your side who right. uh, you kind of have to convince that, yeah, we're a legitimate operation. Like I, Eric Almarola wouldn't have been allowed to come on my show four years ago, you know, or three years ago when I was first starting out. Cause that was just me in my dorm room. I didn't know what I was doing yet. I didn't really know how to talk about this, but I didn't really know what was going on, but I'd started to figure it out. And once I'd started to figure it out, people took notice and at least in a couple of people's eyes, it was legitimate enough to get a drive on my show. And since then it's become legitimate enough to, to, I've been able to go to more racetracks. I've been able to get some special access at certain things like that. I've been able to have other drivers on the show, like having Matt Kenseth on the show. The fact that I could just DM a few people and get Matt Kenseth on my show is something I would not have been able to do with it six months ago, not even possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely am uh, thinking about those stigmas and trying to actively push back on them, but I'm not, I don't want to become Fox or NBC or, or I don't want YouTube, the YouTube space at all to look like ESPN. I want it to still have its own unique, almost do it yourself, you know, made from like homemade feel to it. Yeah. But I, at the end of the day, I think if you want to push the boundaries and do more and more you know, involved content, it's just the way the nature of the business. There are people out there you have to convince. And NASCAR, yeah. the cool thing about NASCAR is a lot of race teams, a lot of you know NASCAR itself has become younger, especially in recent years. And I think uh, that has allowed or that has caused, um, I think in a lot of ways, the sport to be more receptive to people like me because I think now a lot of the people working for them get it more so than others. It, it's, it's a generational difference for sure. And I think that contributes to it. So um I've just noticed over the last year or two, it feels like it's gotten a bit easier to legitimize what we're doing on YouTube, but it it was definitely tough at first because you have no credibility when you're first starting out. No, I think, I think what you said right there is very, um, I think it's very accurate. And frankly, it's, it's, it's a very good way of thinking about things because like you, like something that comes to mind for me is like, there's certain YouTubers out there. And I mean, people like, I don't have to say names or anything. It's not a bad thing, but some people try to, you know, market themselves and brand themselves as like a media member and like report on news and stuff like that. It's just the way that they send out certain tweets or report on yeah. stuff. Um, you know, I mean, we, we know who we're talking about and everything and it's not a yeah. bad thing. It's just who this, what they do, but stuff like when the Kansas news dropped, right. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm out here tweeting like, wow, didn't see this coming. They opted for Kenseth over Ross. And you're out here tweeting in all caps like, what the fuck? Like, that, that, that's what makes you you, though. Yeah. Like, you don't always do that, but people understand you. and They know that you are first a race fan. Yeah. They know your background as a Matt Kenseth fan. Mm. They know you doing your YouTube show out of the groove from a fan's perspective. Yeah. That's what makes you getting drivers and possibly talking to NASCAR management and going to the racetrack and, and getting that access. That's what makes them being a part of your journey. So fun for them as the subscriber or the viewer. Mm-hmm. And I think what you talked about of, of the badge of legitimacy, I've actually never heard it phrased that way, but <laughs> from somebody that is trying to get a badge of legitimacy, yeah. frankly, that's a really, really good way of putting it. <laughs> frankly. Yeah. I mean, like I've been emailing some PRs of drivers to try to get them to do some, some video interviews with me just to create some content and catch up with them and everything. Um, frankly, if I worked for MRN or if I worked for Fox or NBC and not front stretch, it'd be easier. They would do it in a heartbeat. Like it's, that's just what it is. And that's the nature of the beast. But 
I do appreciate your honesty on that topic because, um, again, from somebody like me who is frankly uneducated on the topic, you know, you hear YouTube star, or you hear uh, this person has a YouTube show, and there's a stigma that surrounds it. And I think you have been one of those people, specifically in the NASCAR realm, to kind of destigmatize that. So I think you should be commended for that. And whatever you're doing, it's working. So keep it up. I, I appreciate. It. Yeah, you're, I think you're right. It is just you want to still have fun. You want to give YouTube, make YouTube feel like YouTube. You don't want it to feel like it's overproduced, but at the same time, I think people need an, a layer of security knowing what they're getting involved with. And if it's just a guy in, in his bedroom or, uh, or whatever it may be that, that for a lot of people doesn't do it, that doesn't feel safe enough to them. And, and everyone's looking, everyone wants to make sure they don't step, take a wrong step or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I appreciate that. Yeah. I think that's, that's what I've been trying to do here is, make it clear who I am, what I'm about. I'm not trying to be a reporter or anything like that. There are other people out there that are far more connected, that are more qualified to report the news. I'm just here to share it with other people and react to it and, and have a conversation with it or with other people about it. Um, and I guess it's engaging enough that a decent amount of people watch, but, but I, but I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. You also mentioned your hair. What was up with your hair like three years ago? That was out of control. Yeah, I was actually funny. I was talking to somebody about that the other day. Yeah, in high school and stuff, I had just big, floofy hair. I uh, did too, honestly. I'll yeah. send you pictures after because I, I relate to you with that. Yeah, I think what happened was I let it get really long when I was young. And at, the, at some point, I just got too scared to cut it because I didn't remember what my head looked like. And I was afraid, what if I cut it short? <laughs> and my, I have like a weird head shape or something that I forgot about. I look really <laughs> stupid and, and it got a little out of control. It's, it's a bit more a bit more tame now, I, I think. I would say so, yeah. But I mean, I, I need a haircut really bad. It's kind of oh, like flat on the sides because I slept a lot, but yeah. it's out of control. I'm like, glad I'm wearing my gr- headphones because I got the side here is all all over the place. <laughs> well, when I played baseball, I would always keep my hair long, and there would be these little parts on the side that stuck out, and my teammates would call them wings. So whenever I was out in the field playing third base, they would always just look at me and make fun of my wings. So I, see, I relate to you. I'll send you pictures of me and my wings. I remember it's like. <laughs> It was like sixth grade at, at picture day. I was wearing a Gilbert Arenas Wizards jersey to picture day, and my hair was out of control. Oh, boy. Like, absolutely I love bananas. That. Your parents yeah. let you wear Your mom let you wear an NBA jersey to uh, to picture day? Yeah, I think in, like, third grade, I'm I wore jealous. my Clinton Portis one, too. That's awesome. Yeah. You got you got a rep. Speaking of sports, um, I actually forgot about it until you started talking about <laughs> you're from Houston. But yeah. you see this puppy right there? Yeah. Huh? Yep, I'm yep. pointing to my national Congrats. stuff for you I, listeners. I've, I've been a bit d- disillusioned by my Astros, obviously. I, I was thrilled when they won in 2017, yeah. but everything that's come out afterwards has really tarnished that a bit. It's all downhill from there. Yeah, it's been tough. But, yeah, I, last year's World Series, at least that one seems completely legitimate. And it, was a, it was a good battle. Seven games. That was fun. Yeah, sure. Astros and legitimate in the same sentence. Don't know if that's ever going to happen. I, I'm just telling what the what the what the reporters have said. Again, that's my job. I don't report. I say what other reporters. Yeah. Report. Okay. All right. Now <laughs> they you're said it was it clean. We lost fair and square last year. I'll take it. <laughs> I I'll, all I'll say is I saw some reports that we as the Nationals knew about the sign stealing going into the World Series, and we still beat that ass. So what's <laughs> I, up? And congratulations. I, I'll, I'll take this one. I, See, I haven't worn I'm an Astros jersey winner. in months. I, I, I can't. It's hard for me to go out in public now. It's a shame. <laughs> I know it is. Actually, I'm being a sore winner. Being in Houston now, I could probably do it. It was but when I was in California, I definitely couldn't wear an Astros shirt in a Fair. Los Angeles. That was not. Fair. That would not have gone over very well with those Dodgers fans. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But hey, um, you do what you can. Also, you're a big Rockets fan, right? Yeah. So the beard. Yeah, I, I'm a big James Harden. I was when you mentioned wearing a Gilbert Arenas jersey, I was like, man, I have all these James Harden jerseys, old Yao jerseys. I could have worn all those years to. Could have. 
I think I got a Tracy McGrady jersey in my closet. It's it's not like legit or anything. Like it's not stitched. I think it's just like printed on there. But I think I got it at like the NBA store in New York City when yeah. I was like ten. I don't know. I was so, looking through my closet a few months back and I found an old Ron Artest Rockets jersey I had. Wow. From who knows when? I was like, when did I have that? When did I get a Ron? That's I, legit. I like Louis Scola. I used to love Louis Scola if you remember him with the long hair. He was good in two K. Yeah, I he remember was, him. He was good in real life. He was fun to watch. He he was he's like forty <laughs> years old. And I saw last year in the World Basketball, uh, whatever it is, he dropped like forty points on Rudy Gobert at like age really? forty. Like Louis, wow. what are you doing? Not to turn this into a <laughs> basketball show, but yeah. No, I like it. This is what, this is what we got. <laughs> yeah. What about football? I'm like a fair weather football fan. I, I watch the Texans, but I, I really only keep up with them when they're good. Since the games often interfere with NASCAR, it's like if the Texans are having a good year, if I know they're tough, good, yeah. I'll, I'll flip between the two. But when the Texans are you know having a four and twelve year, I, I just kind of ignore. It. I, I'll keep up with the news. I know what the record. I know how the games yeah. go, but I don't watch consistently. Hockey? Are you a Stars guy, or do you not really care? No, Houston. I, I it's all Houston sports. I, I've my girlfriend's kind of a hockey fan, so sometimes she'll tell me about some things that are going on in the hockey world. I guess, but I don't. I don't keep up with hockey too much. It. it I missed it. I guess. Well, if you ever get Michael Annette on your show, ask him about hockey because he used to play hockey very competitively, oh, wow. and I think um, he was teammates with. Um, I forget who it was. He was on the Sharks. It's it's skipping my mind. But if you ever have Michael Annette. On your show, asking about hockey. Sounds good. Sounds like a good conversation starter. <laughs> All right, uh, we we got a little off track. Let's get back on track here. Um, back to the, the the legitimacy aspect of things. Mm-hmm. Like this is not just. I mean, this is a show. Don't get me wrong, but this is more than a show now for you because when I was doing research on you and. I mean, Frank, I don't watch all your videos. I watch some of them. I watch when I, I can't. I don't even watch all my videos. A lot of times I hit export and just hit upload. And I'll just, yeah, it's <laughs> fair, probably good. <laughs> fair. I don't, I don't listen to all my podcasts either. I do the same thing. But, like, this is, um, this is a very profitable venture for you. Like, more profitable than my podcast, more profitable than the stuff that I do on the side at NBC Sports Washington. Um, and I'm not, like, disclosing any secret here because, like, these are public numbers. But you have a Patreon, and you get over $400 per month. From your subscribers. Yeah. You have over 112,000 subscribers on your YouTube channel. You have merchandise, <laughs> for Christ's sake. Is yeah. this normal for you? Like, Is that at a point now where you are, you are normalized to making money off of your YouTube channel? You are normalized to people buying shirts with your show on it? Like, Is this normal for you now? Because for me, if I had my, shirt, my face on a shirt and somebody buy it, I would call them and ask them what they're doing. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I mean, I don't sell a whole lot of shirts. I'll, I'll make that clear right off the bat. But but <laughs> even the even just selling one of them, yeah, you're right. It was a little like whoa at first. It's crazy. Um, but yeah, it is. It's it's a business for me at this point. I mean, it kind of in a lot of ways the the bit of ad revenue I was getting it wasn't that much at first, but especially what I was getting early days of uh, college and at the end of high school was just enough to help me kind of pay at least some of my way through college um, to at least help help out with that a little bit and and. Um, and so that was really cool. Um, now that now that I'm nearing the end of it and graduating, everything it's grown more. It is it is it's a small business for me at this this point. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, it was interesting to see like at first when you when you launch something like a Patreon, you don't know what people are, are going to support if anyone's going to support. And you know, I kind of it's pretty exclusive. Not a whole lot of people do it, but it's there for people who really want to go the extra. What did mile you expect when you launched it? I uh, I mean about what I, about what it's been. Honestly, it went about how I expected. You really you don't expect okay. much, and then uh, when I, you, I always keep my expectations low and I always leave, let myself be pleasantly surprised if people want to do, want to do more, but it's, it's always tough. Like asking your fans for like extra support. I'm just thrilled people watch and subscribe. That's, that's um, 
honestly enough for me. Uh, but when people, people go the extra mile, whether it be Patreon, whether supporting getting a shirt or like when I do live streams, if they leave like super chats and donations, things like that, like it's, it really is kind of insane, especially when it first, when I first would start to see it occasionally, it, it yeah. really blows my mind, but it's just, I think it's a way in a lot of ways it's fans just kind of showing support for, for something that, that, not a lot of other people are really doing out there. I mean, it's just, I think YouTube, it's a different feel. It's a different vibe from um, what you see on TV. And I think a lot of people respect that. And a lot of people do enjoy that. I think in this new age, social media, live streaming, YouTube is becoming more and more prevalent in, in the mainstream. It's becoming more and more legitimate to use that word again. And, uh, and people have, people are willing to support it now. So it's, uh, it's cool. It's, it's grown up, grown up enough that, uh, that it actually like means something to me beyond, you know, it, it's actually a, valuable in a lot of ways to me so yeah uh, it is kind of it's 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 a large part of my life right now for sure um i'm trying to like wrap my head around the fact like like if there's like a thousand people that watch something listen to something of mine read something of mine that's like incredible to me Mm -hmm. i'm trying to wrap my head around the fact that not only do you regularly get twenty thousand views on your videos you have over a hundred and twelve thousand people that have chosen to click subscribe on your channel they get notifications whenever you make something and you have people that are paying you money to support you in this event like i'm i'm trying to wrap my head around this because for me it's it's crazy to think that somebody would even do that for me for you you have over a hundred thousand people you have you thought about it this way you have over one tenth of a million people watching you I think of it as like I have a small city worth of people. <laughs> Maybe that you do. Watch. You seriously do. Yeah, it's. I mean, it is definitely crazy. Um, for sure. You're you're just happy to. I just remember. I still sometimes remember back when I had three hundred subscribers. I remember my mom telling me like to work on homework or something like that, and I was like, no, I gotta finish this video. And she's like, why? And I'm like, because there's three hundred people that want to watch what I make this week. Yeah, mom, come on. I, I vividly remember saying that, and I remember. I was. I think back to that sometimes because it is. It's grown quite a bit, but um. Yeah, I mean, I'm obviously just flattered, very humbled by all the support that people yeah. have have got have given to me. Um, and I, I, I don't have a lot else to say, really. No, I know it sounds like I'm just like blowing smoke up your no, ass. So, like, sorry if it is, but it's just, I, I'm I'm legitimately trying to wrap my head around yeah. like that idea. I think just, I just have a, a hard time. I, I guess I don't always put it in in full on in perspective because a lot of times I, I point the camera, I film, come over here, I edit it. Yeah. You can get lost in it. Yeah, I mean, it, it sometimes just feels very like it feels kind of the same way it did, but back when I had you know two thousand people watching an episode, it almost it doesn't really feel that different. I guess now that's I just, good though. I feel like that's good. I think it's it, you kind of have to do it. if you let it get to yourself. If you let that go to your head, that it's like oh man, look at all these people watching my videos. You just you become hard to people don't want to be around you. People don't want to talk yeah. to you. So you, you do no, definitely want to keep that in perspective as much as possible. And so I, I try not to to toot my own horn to any extent but it, but it is i mean i am proud but i am proud of what's become uh when i got my uh, silver youtube play button on the shelf over there last uh, at the end of last year it was uh, let's see it uh, I, I'll, I'll get up but hold on give me one second it was right. uh, it was pretty special yeah so what eric's talking about is so when he up. got sorry, when he got a hundred thousand subscribers yeah. youtube sent him a plaque there you go and he's oh, showing oh, it to me right light. now it's gonna it's very reflective i don't know if you can see there you go you can't see that thing's me. fresh yeah. It says presented to Eric Estep for yep. passing a hundred thousand subscribers and there's a little mirror reflection thing on it. That is Yeah, I can show you. That's sick. There's you. <laughs> there I am. <laughs> Very reflective. That's sweet though. Um yeah, that so that, I mean you don't do it for the awards, but obviously having something you know, get a box in your door from Google, it's like, whoa, that's kinda real. 
Um, but I, <laughs> I sometimes I find myself like before video, I'll be like, God damn, my hair looks terrible. I got to fix that before, you know, all these people see me with looking stupid. I think the- no, dude, I'm the same way. Like, like at, at, at the TV studio, when I'm going on camera, it's just film something, not even for the station for myself. They're like, Hey, do you have your makeup on? I'm like, <laughs> no, they're, they're like, why not? I'm like, it's just for me. They're like, don't you want to look professional? I'm like, okay, fine. Put it on me. Like, <laughs> yeah. Not yeah. I- it's uh i forgot what i was gonna say i don't um, sorry it's gonna be anything that exciting um but yeah well i get i i do think sometimes now like the only time i notice how big it's gotten is when i do it doesn't happen very often when i do say something in a video that's maybe kind of controversial that people not necessarily people agree with the mm-hmm. majority of people agree with i'll feel i feel the blowback more now on like twitter or in the comment section now to more than i did two or three years ago for sure so that's when you really notice is when bad things are happening when yeah. bad things are happening it's just I don't know, it's just business as usual and you're just thankful that it exists i guess but yeah <laughs> all right we've gotten into into the weeds on some some important stuff let's get to some fun stuff before i let you go what's up with the disney fascination because i know everybody loves disney but you're on another level I, i'm a big disney guy. i mean i was fortunate my family would my dad loves disney world and disneyland all that stuff so we, we would take mine does too we would take trips to disney fairly not every year but most years we take a trip to disney go there for a few days and it's just something if you've never if you've never been to disney world and i have friends who never went to disney world and, and it, it's just it is like oh it's just fun it's magical man. It, it's magical it really is i mean as a kid it's magical because you're like wow there's mickey mouse and he's really there and wow this i'm actually in a haunted mansion but now as you get older you kind of start to just appreciate the art behind it personally i went and uh you talk about my disney fascination i don't know if you know this i i post about some but not a whole lot but last year i actually worked at disney world yeah. for a few months and so i worked at the uh, didn't the, you work at the hollywood tower or whatever yeah i worked at the the tower of terror so i got to wear the, the right, bellhop yeah. costume the the trench coat and everything and it was actually cool i was i worked there for about four months and i probably got approached about 50 or 60 times by people who watch my videos who were just shocked to see me working wow. at, at disney world and people would stop to take photos with me and i'd be like yeah it's, it's cool and everything and that's crazy i wish more people would share those photos because i took at least probably 20 photos photos with people and I don't I can't find them anywhere I want to know how surprised I looked to be a to be to be there but that's crazy yeah so I, I'm a big Disney guy just because it's fun I, I grew up watching Disney movies and, and I love uh yeah I love uh the, the parks are great because they're super immersive and they're super just they're still magical to it to an extent to this day and it's um you can't get enough of them they're fun have you been to Cars Land oh yeah love that's one of the best ones I got I went there uh when I was in LA I, I went there a couple yeah, of times I figured you went yeah got I don't want to get up but as you can see over there my piston cup is somewhere oh that's awesome I see that yeah I had to buy a piston cup there you go there. yeah that's that's awesome. And I got my Lightning McQueen nightlight that I never even use but it's more so just like decor that's that's beautiful <laughs> Lightning McQueen honestly yeah. is, is as much a racing icon as anyone I feel like in, in this day and age 100 percent I was surprised <laughs> that Chip didn't call him yeah honestly me me too that would that would have been uh, good for the sponsors for sure how much do you get like approached in public like if at all i mean when you're home like you said there's not really very, many people but very rare i mean the only time i get when i'm at the racetrack it's significant pretty significant yeah. like, i'll go to the racetrack on any given day 20 to 60 people will come up to me at some point or another and be like hey i've seen yeah. the videos but uh outside is that weird of, for you it was weird at first uh it was weird because last year is when it was like a jump. I went to you know a race or two a year for a while there, and then last mm-hmm. year I went to like four or five races for the first time ever, and that's when I like once I was being kind of being more of a regular at a lot of the racetracks. Uh, I noticed a significant uptick in the number of people that would come and approach me. I'm also really tall. I stand out in a crowd uh, for people who don't know. I'm like six foot seven. So yeah, I never got to spot. that. <laughs> so it's, you are very tall. Yeah. Did you ever play basketball? I did in high school for a while. And I still play today. Good. Just friends. 
I was pretty good. I was good because I was a tall guy who could shoot. A lot of tall guys couldn't shoot, but I could shoot. I wasn't. I'm not like a huge big dude. I wasn't gonna. Do you have like range, him. range, or are we talking just like free throws? I like... shoot. I can shoot threes. I'm not, not too bad. I, I'm not gonna All sit right. here and puff my chest out too much because I'm a bit out of practice. <laughs> but I, I could pop out for a three here and there, and people would be like, "Oh, you, you get the guys laying way back because they have no faith in me." And of course, I, yeah, I make yeah. one finally, and they'd be like, "Oh, okay, shoot, this guy's not hopeless." Um, but yeah, so I stand out in a crowd, so people easily spot me. So yeah. it was a little weird at first. It's weird when it happens in other places. I'm trying to think. It's really, I don't think I've ever been recognized outside of either uh, a racetrack or, or Disney World. Um, That's crazy. Disney World is yeah. the place where people are like, oh my God, it's Eric. Yeah, I got spotted there like three years ago. I remember getting spotted there by a kid. He was like 12, and and I was just in line to get food, and a guy came, a kid came up to me, and that was like, that was shocking for a while because it was just, I was just yeah. there with my family. I was just hanging out. And, uh, and that was, uh, that was surprising, but yeah, outside of racetracks, I mean, uh, there's not a whole lot of race racing fans, uh, especially yeah. not where I live. So it's kind of, yeah, I wouldn't expect to be recognized. That's pretty crazy. Um, how tall is your girlfriend? She's about five, 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 four, maybe not, not Sorry if that's a weird question, but like you're a foot taller yeah. than her. I mean, it's, it was kind of <laughs> name of the game. It was, it was gonna be difficult to find. There's not a lot of, uh, a lot of that's six true. foot <laughs> women out it's there, true. but, uh, <laughs> yeah, at least she's not she's not everyone's always just making sure she's not like four foot ten you know everyone's like how tall is she yeah she's five, five. okay that's not too bad that's that's okay no because because <laughs> i'm like five ten and my mom's like four eleven ish and my girlfriend's five two so like i'm used to just like looking down on yeah off the just, 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 yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh it's crazy um all right last question i'll get you out of here because i know we're running a bit long you mentioned that like you, you don't have really aspirations of being a quote-unquote media guy in nascar you're a film major D- did you officially graduate yet because you said you're done not yet i got like a week le- i got like a week of classes left and then okay. I mean, graduation's well, canceled but i don't know i guess i'm graduated right. at that point <laughs> well premature congratulations on that well, thank you um, very very awesome achievement for you do you have an end game like do you have a goal for yourself in terms of whether it's getting into film nascar film nascar productions like is that something that you've thought about or explored do you have a career goal for yourself I think about that a lot nowadays, especially kind of now that I'm going out into the real world, so to uh-huh. speak. Um, it's changed a lot. I think right now I really enjoy what I'm doing and it's to a point where I, I could sustain myself living on my own, you know, fairly comfortably. So it's for sure to the point where like, I would like to see this through and see where this goes over the next few years. Specifically, where do I see it going? Where do I want to see it? I don't know. I, I like the direction it's gone, but it, you, know, you always wonder like how sustainable is that? And with something like YouTube, YouTube is still a very volatile you know, platform. I mean, there's the YouTube, you know, you, I don't know, you may not know about YouTube, but YouTube, you know, you're heavily reliant on their algorithm, which can change at any time without anyone really noticing. You're not in a lot of control. Yeah. People get their channels deleted sometimes out of nowhere, just a glitch. And usually they're able to fix it and get it back for you, but sometimes they don't. Sometimes you're just kind of, you know, screwed. So YouTube's not the most stable platform to be based on i should say but it is a uh, it's also very powerful and it's um granted me a ton of opportunity so i mm-hmm. i think in the short term at least because that's all i've really been able to think of recently is as i w- the hope is to keep doing this keep growing it and keep kind of pursuing the same going the same direction i've been going the last year or two um and just see what happens from there i've, I've gotten to do a lot of cool things lately i i got approached by jordan anderson from the truck series and some people i know over at a, a nascar pole position and, and i've been able to help host uh, an iRacing series for the nascar truck series a bunch of truck series drivers have been racing stuff and i've been streaming it on my channel the last couple of weeks so I, I like what i'm doing it's changing here and there because i'm getting some of those different unique opportunities that i wouldn't have expected um and so part of me just wants to keep pushing at that for a while here and and see what other uh, cool stuff comes out of it i suppose well 
thank you for helping me learn a little bit about NASCAR YouTube because I feel smarter now for talking with you. And now we know about the badge of legitimacy. Yes. So if you get one or if I get one, we'll be the first people that we contact and say, hey, I got my badge. Yeah, yeah. That, I feel like, yeah, that that's that's awesome. Um, well, thanks for having me on. This was this was fun. I'm, I'm glad I was able to teach you something, I guess. This is yeah. my, uh, not a master class. This is my no- <laughs> novice class, my my amateur class amateur hour. nascar youtube 101 yeah yeah <laughs> uh yeah well thanks for having me on this was a lot uh, this is a lot of fun for sure we'll have to do it again sometime no no problem man thank you for uh joining me be sure to stay safe stay inside wash those hands and uh, whenever you can get a haircut i'm gonna do the same um <laughs> and hopefully we'll we'll be at the racetrack soon i don't know when that will be if that will happen this year but at least we got it on tv soon so um thank you so much again i really appreciate it and i'll uh i'll be chatting with you soon go nats <laughs> uh, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Talk soon. And we're back. Thank you for listening. Just kidding. We're not done. But that was fun. Uh, I enjoyed chatting with Eric. I had to give him some shit about, um, you know, his Astros cheating and my Nats beating him anyway. But that was really fun and informative. I, I'm glad that I got to chat with him. I'm glad that he gave me an hour of his time. It's it's kind of weird because, you know, he. I mean, he has way more clout than me. So he could have easily just said, like, nah, I'm good. But... Um, he's been really cool. I met him a couple times at the track, as I said, when I chatted with him and, uh, I was glad that he gave me some time. So Eric, my man, thank you. I appreciate you. Stay safe, stay inside and congratulations on graduating virtually. That is quick segment of lug nuts of the week. Cue that funky music, white boy. Stuart Haas racing transported 2 million masks to Novant health. Good on them for doing some good stuff in these trying times. Nick Ottinger won the Coke Series race at Dover. He's been working with William Byron on the eNASCAR iRacing Pro Invitational Series stuff. I believe he's been William's crew chief, and I believe he drives for William Byron Esports. NASCAR has also granted a playoff waiver to Matt Kenseth and Ryan Newman, and before that they cleared Ryan Newman medically to compete in races when we resume, which will be on May 17th. And that will wrap things up for the Mark Martin edition of Victory Lane 2.0, episode 55. If you like what you heard, do me a favor, leave a rating and a review. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud. Wherever you get your podcast, it is likely that we are there. Thank you again for listening. Stay safe. Stay inside. Peace and love, my dudes and dudettes. And we'll talk to you guys on the flip side next week.